Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Jim Megan, where shall we start? First of all, you are listed in Wikipedia as like head honcho <laughs> of DuckTales, but it looks like even you have stated in previous interviews that the at least early development were uh, other, was mainly other people. Yes, yes. I, I, I don't know who put me in as a, <laughs> as a show creator on that. I certainly wasn't. Either a friend or an enemy. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, I, as a kid, I used to read... Um, you know, the Dell comics and uh, they were, you know, the, the, the interesting ones were created by the duck man, which was named Carl Bart. Yes. And, um, you know, that's certainly what the show was based on were, were his uh, wild and wacky adventures with uh, Uncle Scrooge and uh, Donald Duck and the nephews. So I was well, I was well aware of the property. I just didn't actually develop it for television. But going back to your entry into working with uh, Disney and everything, it kind of blows my mind that you uh, didn't have like a ton of experience in TV animation or even before that you did music production and had a huge hit with, um, I'm sorry, what was it? D- Disco Mi- Mickey. Disco Mickey, yeah. How, yeah. how did that, so how did you break in so well into the industry and to me what seemingly very difficult positions to get into based off of uh it looks like i it was it really just you uh the college radio um productions that you created that really got you your start <laughs> uh y- yes uh when you when you asked me that I, I was reminded of a benny hill skit where they asked him you do all these amazing things how do you how did you do that he said brilliantly <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, yeah, I started with uh, I started in college as a, a, a radio disc jockey on a local like ten watt station, and somebody there uh, kind of challenged me to well do something else, and so I, I wrote these skits which I called Greenard Theater, and I, I wrote them and then I directed and cast and and produced them, and uh, when you put together a radio show, you've got music, sound effects, and dialogue. So when I ended up at Disney, they wanted to do these uh, talking books, read-along books, uh, which happened to be sound effects, music, and dialogue. (laughs) Oh, I know how to do that. (laughs) So, um, you know, I just switched from uh, amateur, uh, you know, performers to professional performers and uh, worked in a professional studio. And the next thing I was a 
record producer, you know. So I, I, I led kind of a charmed life, but I, it wasn't like it came out of nowhere. I, I had been doing it, you know, for years before I worked at Disney. And um, when you started working at Disney, you came in at a very interesting time. I mean, such a turning point for the company. What was that like? I mean, what was what was the vibe of the of the company at that time in general for you coming in? Well, that's a it's an interesting question because I'm not a hundred percent sure what you're referring to. I came in in 1976, hmm. and um, I don't remember there being particularly anything interesting going on. Well, kind of. That's what I mean. I guess it was right before things really picked up again for the company. Yeah, the dark ages, as Disney fans kind of refer to it. <laughs> the dark ages. Well, you know, it's interesting because Walt had passed on, I think, in 67, uh, you know, while they were doing Jungle Book. And then it, a whole slew of uh, animated films came out. And I'm not sure all of them were, were terribly successful. Um, and so, you know, I think everyone was feeling like hey, we're, we haven't got a hit, you know. And um, what was interesting is that I worked in consumer products, you know, which are comic books, books, uh, you know, uh, drinking mugs, toothbrushes. And we were doing children's records. We were doing, we were the record company. And we ended up doing all kinds of story records, not just Disney ones, but, you know, we ended up doing Charlie Brown and, and the Black Hole and Star Wars and Star Trek. And, you know, we were doing records for all these different companies. And we, then we branched out into doing music albums and, you know, I, I think whereas the rest of the studio was maybe floundering a bit, we were really doing some uh, fascinating stuff. So when Eisner took over the company in 84, he wanted, you know, the best and the brightest and the smartest people <laughs> to show up at his house to discuss his new idea for a TV animation department. I want the brightest. I want the best. <laughs> I want the smartest. And Jim Agon. <laughs> exactly. I, I want all the above plus Jim Agon. <laughs> did, did you feel that way going into that meeting? That sounds like a really stressful meeting to me on a Sunday morning because that's the only time he has coming this, into that situation. The legendary Eisner meeting where yes. he's just holding up a bag of gummy bears. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You're, you're absolutely on the money on that because, uh, you know, I had, I had never really, uh, you know, Eisner had, literally just taken over the company. I think he'd been there maybe a week. And um, so I remember sitting in his living room when somebody called him and was giving him the numbers for a movie called Country uh, that had just been released that weekend. And it's like, you know, here are the opening weekend numbers. And it was like, wow, you know, we're right here on, on the cutting edge of him taking over the company, you know, it was Really interesting. So anyway, he, he came up with this idea that I want to do, uh, you know, children's programming and I, I want to create a TV animation division. And there were, I think, eight of us there. And um, he, he turned to me and believe me, I don't know why, but he, he said he just got through saying his kids got back from camp. They were raving about this new uh, confection called Gummy Bears. And uh, he turned to me and he said, make me a show called Gummy Bears. And I thought, <laughs> he doesn't know me from Adam, you know? I mean, were you even so? Were you there specifically to pitch TV show ideas or was it just? No. <laughs> no. That is some 80s business guy energy. <laughs> there was no TV uh, division, uh, animation division. So we weren't there to pitch anything. He was there to pitch us. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I want to create this new, uh, you know, new division, and I want people that can, you know, come up with great stuff. And we all kind of went, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'd never made a cartoon before, so, you know, sure. That whatever. is unbelievable. And I, I mean, I just, I try to put myself in your shoes in that moment, and I would be just terribly stressed. I would just be mortified <laughs> at, at being in that position, knowing, especially having worked on some television in the past, knowing the scope of what that is, especially from my research of what goes into an animated television show. And that's, oh, all, yeah. that's all stuff that you just picked up on the go, just working on gummy bears. Oh, you're absolutely correct because we didn't have offices. We didn't have desks, chairs, managers, artists. We had nothing. <laughs> we had to build that division literally from the ground up. And uh, we weren't using anyone from feature animation. So it was all, you know, people from uh, the business, you know, from other, other studios and whatnot. And uh, that's, how it, that's how it grew. I mean, we kind of made it up as we went along. Uh, this is just a random thing I was curious about. Uh, having worked for the storybook, uh, the story records divisions, had you worked with yeah. Alan Young and Russie Taylor and like legends like Frank Welker and uh, uh, Brian <laughs> and uh, Jim Cummings? Like, had had you worked with these like Disney almost like iconic voices before uh, working on the cartoons? A, a couple of them. Uh, basically, my my little group uh, were uh, voice actors that had taken classes from Dawes Butler, who was a legend over at Hanna Barbera. And he was teaching classes in voice acting and whatnot. And so I, I got a hold of Corey Burton, who then turned me on to, you know, three or four other students. And that was my that was my group. You know, they were all basically unknowns. The, the longer I recorded, the more I would say, oh, you know what? Maybe I can get Hal Smith. Maybe I can get so and so, you know. Um, but I, I really didn't know the big shots at that point. Um you know, when I look at someone like Jim Cummings, he hadn't really been working yet until he did, you know, he was doing gummy bears. And stuff. <laughs> uh, I think I gave him one of his first professional jobs. So, you know, it's interesting that I went from not knowing anybody to, oh, look, I'm working with Rocky and Bullwinkle, you know, <laughs> just like I was kind of in awe of the whole thing. Now, uh, another um, thing about, I feel like, uh, Gummy Bears really set it off, and the Wuzzles uh, kept it going into DuckTales and the whole Disney afternoon. The animation, though, I keep reading in my research, the animation was just a cut above the rest of what was happening at that time. Um, is there, were you aware of that when you were making the show? I know you were so kind of just learning the ropes as you went. It's kind of surprising to me that, you know, you pioneered this whole, like, or helped pioneer this whole TV department at Disney, and yet the products uh, immediately were a higher quality than the rest of what was going on around there. Um, I'm trying to figure out how uh, to make a question out of this. Okay, let me me take a crack. I got this. Yeah, yeah, you got this? Uh, So as an animation fan, uh, you know, uh, working with Tokyo Movie Shinsha across the pond, uh, was there, like, you know, how much communication was it between the two camps or did you kind of just write the scripts and like pray that the very talented team they had assembled over there could execute it? And did you know ahead of time that this was going to be just a great, a better, stronger looking product than normal, than normal cartoon television at the time? <laughs> that That's a lot of questions <laughs> and a lot of 
fascinating viewpoint. No, you're absolutely on the money. Well, we knew that we weren't going to be animated in this country because no TV animation uh, at any of the studios was done in this country. It was done, you know, in Canada or or Taiwan or wherever. Mm-hmm. And we had we had this in with uh, TMS, uh, Tokyo Movie Sincha, and they sent us some beautiful uh, samples. And we said, this looks cool. And we knew because we were Disney that we'd better do something that felt like Disney. And so um, I don't think we went in thinking, oh, we're going to change the business. But the truth is that the minute that Wuzzles and Gummy Bears hit the airwaves, uh, people at other studios, Filmation and Deke and whatnot, they, all, all these people kind of sat up and said, oh, my God, look what Disney's doing, you know. And, and a lot of people came, wanted to come over and work for Disney because it looked so good, you know. So uh, yes and no. Y- yes, we knew we had to do something great. No, we didn't know for sure how it was going to turn out. <laughs> Did that answer your question? Yes, <laughs> yes, totally. Uh, was it part of your department to deal with the overseas team at all? Like, did you have to like oh, kind oh. of pass that cultural barrier? You're absolutely right. I'm sorry I didn't answer that part. It was only part seven of a 17-part question. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. Actually, actually, we did all the pre-production. We did the recordings. We did the storyboards. We did the uh, character designs of the color uh, samples. And then everything in the timing sheets and we shipped everything then over to uh tokyo and they would then you know under the guidance of of a disney uh director uh would animate the thing and then send it back to us and we go oh look it's done (laughs) you know (laughs) so um you know i i think you know you, you you sort of put it out there and hope for the best and oh my gosh it turned out to be pretty damn good. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So to bring it over towards DuckTales, which is our main uh, topic today we'll be discussing actually right after this uh, phone call. Um, you, so uh, you did, yeah, You other people kind of took, took care of the development um, early on, but when you got in, you were tasked with writing quite a script. Uh, I believe it's called The Son of the Sun, right? <laughs> You're really close. Oh, You're really close. I was frantically trying to find it in my papers that I have. Yeah, that's all right. That's right. <laughs> no, it's all right. The show had been developed, I think, by David Weimers and Ken Coons, and then some professional uh, story editors were brought in, uh, Patsy Cameron and, and Ted Nasty. And so the show was up and running. Uh, they, they were actually writing scripts and, and storyboarding and whatnot. And at this point, I had left the Gummy Bear show, and I was uh, asked, you know, would you write a five-part episode <laughs> that we can cut into a two-hour movie uh, to use as a pilot episode to sort of kick off the series? So I knew that even though all these other scripts had already been written, that people were going to see what I was doing as the first DuckTales episode, you know? Which is the treasure of the Golden Suns. Ha-ha. Yeah, Treasure of the Golden Sun. Of, it's, it's loosely based on Son of the Sun, the Don Rosa story. Yes. Yeah. Now, I knew who Don Rosa was because I was a comic book fan, but Don didn't work on any of the DuckTales episodes. Mm-hmm. He actually wrote two, two Tailspin episodes years later. Oh, oh um, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah, I, we can talk about that later. But, but basically, we were looking for those sort of big, uh, you know, Donald Duck adventure kind of shows and 
you know, we sat down, uh, I think there were uh, three or four of us, and, and laid out this whole, the whole story arc of this, of this movie in five parts, because mm. we had to write five episodes that they could cut together. So each of those had to stand alone as a separate uh, uh, episode, but then when you cut them together, it was all part of one huge story, mm. and that's, that was Treasure of the Golden Suns. And uh, in your own personal experience, clearly you're a man who has struggled with addiction uh, as you have, uh, you know, as the portrayal of gold fever in these episodes. I have I have so many addiction problems. You're absolutely correct. (laughs) The uh, the hiccuping is the dead giveaway. That was. Oh, oh, yeah, sure. It's gold fever. That's making him alienate his family. I get it. Air quotes with his hands, by the way. You can't see it. Oh, well, I I have to tell you that. One of the things that, that I felt like we had to struggle with was uh, it's fine that Uncle Scrooge and the nephews go on these adventures, but we had to figure out where's Donald in all this. Yes. So in the very first episode, we sent him off to the Navy, and then Uncle Scrooge is stuck with these kids, and they're bored, and and Scrooge just wants to make money, and they want to have fun. <laughs> and so we, we realized that the whole crux of the entire series had to do with the coldness of money versus the warmth of family. And so in this episode, you see Scrooge slowly start to move his way toward my family's more important than the gold is. And so at the end, when, when he gets gold fever, he, he and El Capitan or whatever we call them, you know, we said, look, illnesses are not fun to show. But if we make it funny, then it will work. So when they had gold fever, every time they said the word gold, they would they would hiccup. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was our way. It's like, I, you know, no matter how angry they were, it's like, I need to get my hands on all that gold. <laughs> you know, it, just, it lightened the mood. So anyway, is there uh, anything that you laid out in those original in that original movie that you were happy to see kind of like stayed through the series or like what, what are there like little contributions that you felt proud of uh, in that initial uh, story? You know what? That's a really good question because I, I knew that because we were coming in a little late to the game, we still were going to be the first thing that people saw. And I felt like it allowed the audience a pair of glasses that they could then watch the rest of the series through. And so, you know, even if the episodes that were written by other people were being showed, uh, people would still feel like, oh, well, this is the Scrooge and, and, and the nephews from that first film, you know. So I felt like, yeah, we had we had kind of a, a burden on our shoulders to set this up properly and 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 have the series, you know, go in the right direction. I actually wrote uh, two more. I think it was two more uh, five-part episodes that were cut into movies. And uh, so, you know, I was kind of the specialty story editor, you know, on, on this series. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, you got, you ended up weirdly in this position to create these, like, mul- big multi-parters. It was cool that DuckTales yeah. even had that in the first place. I mean, you didn't see that yeah. a lot with um, other cartoons that you got that more of a film filmic experience uh, Correct. in enjoying the shows. I guess there was the, like, I think that's what made DuckTales stand out above the rest at the time too was just its sense of adventure. It, it, it wasn't just a cute show about funny ducks. It was so much more than that. <laughs> Actually, you know what? This is something I almost i I was having trouble finding the words to ask you, but uh, you know, uh, Ducktales is almost this weird swerve where it's 
basically a boys' adventure show. It's globe trotting. Yes. There's explosions. There's robots. There's uh, a weird uh, RoboCop homage that they'd never let drop. Uh, yeah. And uh, but it's told within the visual language of like a funny animal cartoon. You know, gags. It's 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 very. Yeah. It's almost this genre twisting thing. Do you do you think that's like? How do you how do you how do you Okay, let me let me let me put this in human words. Uh, where do you think DuckTales falls in terms of in terms of genre? Oh, now now you've stumped me because I don't have uh, good words to answer that. But I would just say that one of the one of the hallmarks that we had at, at uh, TV animation was uh, we did a lot of comedy adventures, and because they were adventures, they they appealed to boys, and because they were comedies, they appealed to girls as well. And so, you know, we always felt like, sure, have big adventures, but but there should be lots of laughs as well. So that's why we have such a big audience, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, and it, you know, it's I was going to close with this sentiment, but uh, I was, uh, you know, wanted to thank you for, I mean, you, you had like a profound impact. <laughs> yeah. You and the people you worked with had a profound impact on my childhood, on so many other people's childhood. When I mentioned that we were going to be recording an episode on DuckTales today, I had so many people just get so excited because it was such a central part. And I think a lot of that too, and I was going to ask about this anyways, was due to the fact that we could literally watch it every afternoon <laughs> after school. Right. Uh, and that was in part largely, uh, you know, that was an innovation as well uh, that d the Disney afternoon made the whole daily syndication thing. Were you at all a part of that decision to make that happen with, uh, or was it all just Eisner's? No, someone just yelled like, Add Chip and Dale to this. <laughs> and then you're like, I guess I'm adding Chip and Dale to this. <laughs> but really just the idea to make it a daily experience, uh, mm. a weekday, you know, that was pretty un unheard of at the time, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there had been other syndicated shows, but I think we kind of learned our lesson from working with uh, CBS and NBC on, on Buzzles and uh, Gummy Bears that, you know, we would get a lot of feedback, you know, this isn't up to industry standards and you know, broadcast standards and practices doesn't like when you do this. And and I think we all kind of felt like, well, OK, yeah, fine. And when we went to syndication, the only people that we had to please were ourselves. And the Disney lawyers, you know, is that that's just because it was there was so much of it, or what, how come you were able to? You just they don't have any say when it goes into syndication. I was a little confused at why you get more of a say when it goes into syndication. Right. Well, when you're with a, a national network like ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, they have a each of them has a division where they approve things. When you go to syndication, you're basically going to these people that own television stations around the country. And you say to them, this is our package. Would you like to buy it? And they say, cool. You know, <laughs> Two hours, I don't have to program. Yeah, there's nobody there to say uh, yes or no. They, gotcha. just, they bought it and they show it. You know? Okay. We here at uh, Fox believe that uh, the, the, the boys should wear pants. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, uh, Jim, I, I, need to, I need to ask this uh, just because sure. I honestly am scared to know the answer. Uh when writing for the original DuckTales series, was there actual key differences in how you wrote Huey, Louie, and Dewey as separate characters? Or were they just a threesome, a united entity? Really good question. Um, I know that in the new incarnation, uh, the three nephews each have their own personality. Um, 
when we did it, I, I think we tried again to be true to what Karl Barks was doing, where they were basically one person in three bodies. Yes. Yeah. So they would they would finish each other's sentences, you know, and um, so no, I I wouldn't say that you know we had a division as to who who said what or who did what, especially since all three characters were voiced by the same actress, <laughs> Lucy Taylor. <laughs> um, I, that was not a concern of ours. That oh, we better make sure that that we can you know distinguish between each of the nephews. Uh, I think our biggest problem was trying to remember what color their hats were. <laughs> <laughs> um, wanted to ask. So, did you get to meet Carl Barks? You know what? I never met him. Really? I saw him at at lunch once at the lot. He was sitting in the corner. This tall, white haired man, and I. I looked over and I said, oh, my God, that's Carl Barks over there, <laughs> you know? And that's the only time I ever saw him in person, <laughs> just eating. You mentioned and uh, you mentioned being a fan of Uncle Scrooge and those uh, old comics. Were there other comics that inspired you, especially for the, your later TV work or other media that you grew up with um, that you incorporated into your work once you got into TV animation? That's, that's a really good question. I, I, like a lot of kids, you know, read a lot of Dell comics when I was little, and then you, you get older, you start to read Superman and, you know, Green Arrow and stuff. And then, oh, look, Marvel Comics, yay, you know. So I, I was a huge comic book collector, but I can't say it's really had a huge influence on my cartoon work. Right, right. Did you ever get a chance to read The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I love that comic. It is maybe one of my favorite oddly enough comics out there uh how, how did you feel about it oh no I, I you know i love what don rosa does and um you know i i wrote to him a couple times and then i said would you like to write on on tailspin you know and he said uh yeah let's give it a try you know <laughs> so uh no i i thought his stuff was very clever i used to read his work when he was working uh as an independent uh writer for a Rockets Blast comic collector, which was a fan magazine. Mm. You may want to look that up at some point. <laughs> yeah. But but he he's a very he's a very talented, clever guy. Uh, going back to your work, uh, what was your I mean, we didn't even talk about so many other Disney ap- uh, afternoon shows, especially because we're more focused on DuckTales today and really yeah, everything uh-huh. that led up to DuckTales. But I guess looking back on all of it, I mean, there were, did you you worked on um, all these other shows for the Disney afternoon. What was your favorite show to work on? I always give this answer, so <laughs> forgive me, but um, I, I, I was uh, – the creator and supervising producer of Tailspin. Yes. And so uh, that show has always been sort of near and dear to my heart. Yeah. I love that. show. Not, not that I don't love, not that I don't love all the other things I worked on, but, but I think if somebody said, would you like to work on this again? Hell yes. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. There's one last thing I want to ask you about. Uh, Apparently uh, you're the man who saved the DuckTales theme song. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. There was like one of those crucial yeah. moments in history, apparently. What? Well, I mean, okay. So, by the way, Dogtail's theme song, one of the greatest theme songs of all time. One of ever. the single, maybe <laughs> the best minute of music. Just something. I literally have had yeah. it in my head all week leading up to this episode. I need to record this episode so that it gets out of my head. Mm. But uh, mathematically, <laughs> those horns could not kick in a second sooner or later. It kicks in at the perfect moment. <laughs> so, uh, can we get the story on that then? How you <laughs> saved the song? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, again, I you know I did not uh, hire the writer. I did not. Uh, I was not there for the recording of the, of the piece. But uh, when I heard this 
the demo, when I heard it, uh, I said, oh, this is, this is amazing. And the reason I say that is because I had just come from eight years of producing children's records, right? And I know that when you do children's records, you want things that kids can latch on to, like uh, echo voices and hand claps and, you know, finger snaps and, you know, sort of catchy little sound effect things. So <laughs> we sent uh, Michael Webster, who was a, actually a businessman, to the mix. And uh, he oversaw the whole thing. I'm not sure why, but he was in charge of that. <laughs> and when he brought it back, he played the, the tape for uh, some of us in the studio. And it, it went like this. DuckTales, not ponytails or cotton <laughs> tails. It's DuckTales. And I said, where are the oo-oo's? <laughs> he said, oh, they were silly. We took them. I took them out. And I said, you can't take out the oo-oo's. That, that, that's the most important part of it, you know, because even if you don't know the words, you can go, ooh, ooh, right? <laughs> and it's like, oh, rah, rah, rah. so he went back and they, they put the ooh's back in. Now, I have to tell you, when, when I was at a, a convention, we had a, uh, a ridiculous amount of people out in the audience, hundreds of people. And so, somebody said, uh, DuckTales, and the entire crowd goes, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reflex. You don't have yeah, a choice. I can't, yeah. And I just thought, Yep, we did the right thing, putting them oh, back yeah. in there. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I, I, I will say this. You were asking about syndication, and I was telling you about uh, Broadcast Standards of Practices, yeah. which is abbreviated as BS&P. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say what BS&P should stand for, but anyway. <laughs> um, so I, we were doing The Treasure of the Golden Suns, and I think it was the second episode where the nephews are on a rope, and they they swing down, and they – they break through the, the window of this factory, a chocolate factory, and they, they land inside the factory, and they, they have a big adventure in there. And not once, nobody in the studio, not me, <laughs> none of the animators, nobody ever said, should they really crash through broken glass, you know? <laughs> and it never occurred to me that that would have been a broadcast standards of practices. No, no. Right. But at the same time, it's like you're, the show is crazy adventures where they get themselves in a really deep trouble. That must be a really difficult tightrope walk at, at a point when it's for kids. Yeah. Like how dangerous of a situation. Because even in the intro, you've got one of the nephews like – just barely making it up the side of this wall while this like, you know, big evil yep. crime man like attempts to like grab at his feet. I mean, that's not, you know, necessarily like. Listen, if we don't teach kids at an early age how to avoid mummies, they're never going to learn. I mean, also, you can't jump into a pool full of coins. OK, I don't care yeah, how strong exactly. your bones are, how much milk you drink. Uh, yeah. So uh, I guess I'm sure y'all must have run into issues like that all the time after that. Well, yes, but, you know, I, actually, I'll, I only told you that story because I should have known better. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but the thing is, nobody once complained about it. <laughs> and, and as a result, you know, we, we would say, oh, the nephews crawled through the, you know, through the sewers to get to such and such. And that was a big no-no with the networks. It's like, no, we don't want to show kids crawling through sewers. Right. It's like, yep, I get it. I get it, you know. But then, of course, we we get Ninja Turtles not not too long after, and uh, they live they, in yeah, the Yeah, they live in the sewers. Now, honestly, I want to live in Cartoon World because I have seen so many pristine underground sewer drains with no poops in them. <laughs> in cartoons, yeah. the sewers are are fine. Yeah, no poops. What's the, what's, exactly. the, what's the most amount of shows you worked on at one time? Uh, mm. on on the Disney afternoon. 
Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I was I was developing a tailspin when I was told that I should be uh, restory editing the Rescue Rangers movie, and I think I was writing on Winnie the Pooh at the same time. So I guess three shows at a time was was the most. Yeah. And uh, was was it? I always hear the uh, like nightmare stories about how crazy animation show Crunch can be. Did you suffer from that? Was it really intense? Was it um, was it just like a, a, a an weekend intense... sleeping in the studio, I... burning the midnight oil? Yeah, is that kind of stuff happening for you? Oh, absolutely! No, absolutely. When when we went to syndication, in order to syndicate a show, you had to have thirteen uh, weeks of five episodes each. So that the magic number there is sixty five episodes. And so when you sell it, a syndicated show, at least in animation. Um, you're, you're told you have to do 65 episodes. So people would write to me and say, why didn't you do more seasons of gummy bears or, I mean, of, of tailspin? It's like, there were no seasons. Well, there was one season and that was it. You know? <laughs> and of course, DuckTales got a hundred. Well, yeah, they originally it was 65 and it was so popular that they said, let's do some more. But, uh, it was originally a 65 episode, uh, series. So what I'm sorry. I I love to bend your ear. Um, so what happened was that um, we were we were uh, doing 65 episodes. Now, I'm not saying the quality is the same, but if you just look at sheer footage of animation, we did the same amount of footage as all the animation from Snow White to Jungle Book. Uh, we did that uh, on Tailspin in in just under two years and it took disney it took disney you know what uh, 30 years to do the other you know (laughs) yeah that is so we did it we did a ton of animation and a ton of writing in fact we didn't have just one team we had four teams all working in tandem and we were each team had to turn something in every two weeks so and i was supervising producer so not only was i one of the you know heading up one of the production teams i was actually reading everything that all the other teams were doing as well so during that time i had no vacations i was working weekends and uh it just about ruined my career and almost ruined my marriage um and when it was over it's like i'm out of here and i disappeared to to the uk for three weeks for a vacation nice but that was two that was two solid years of work wow see it's that level of exhaustion that drives a man to invent the Never before heard of sport of sky surfing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which exactly. is a, a genuine mushroom induced dream state. Because that is, when I, even as a kid, I was like, that doesn't work. <laughs> what? Sky surfing? And I guess, was there a moment when you realized you were a part of something big, a part of something really successful, or at least uh, having a pretty big impact on like children all over the country? And actually kind of the world because it got uh, translated in so many different languages, just DuckTales alone. Yeah, absolutely. And by then, we knew what we were doing. We had a, a process by which somebody was already developing the next syndicated series, you know, while we were working on this syndicated series. So we knew that we were in a cycle by this point. Uh, the thing is, when, when Tailspin got done, however, we didn't know that it, they were planning on creating this thing called the Disney Afternoon. Mm. Now, we weren't allowed to call it a cartoon block because that was naughty. You couldn't say that. But it basically stood for here are two hours of cartoons, you know, which was, you know, four half hour shows um, 
shown back to back to back, you know, every day of the week. And as such, uh, Tailspin became the linchpin of the new uh, Disney afternoon. So when we rolled out, it wasn't just, oh, here's a new show. It was, here's the Disney afternoon starring Tailspin, you know. And um, and I, I, I often feel like things happen because of what's going on in the world. And at this point, you know, the middle class was starting to uh, struggle and wives were out working instead of staying home with the kids. So we basically were the babysitters for what was known as the latchkey generation. Mm. These kids would come home from school, let themselves into the house, mm-hmm. and then make a sandwich, do their homework, and watch TV for two hours. That was me. <laughs> well, mom and dad were at work. Yeah, that was 100% me. That's why I ended up watching just countless hours of Disney Afternoon, Big Ninja Turtles fan, Tiny Toons, all that stuff. But all that stuff was thanks to the Disney Afternoon. Like having yes. even all that other content, I was uh, enjoyed and was surprised to find out in doing this research that really it is it is the syndication that happened with the Disney afternoon shows that really is to thank for having all of that great company after school that I wouldn't have had. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I used to get letters from people. And, you know, most of the time it's like, oh, I really liked Blue or I really like, you know, Scrooge McDuck. But every so often I would get these ones where it says, you know, I didn't have a father and my uncle was my father figure. And he died uh, during during the, when the show was running, and so uh, you know, Baloo became my surrogate father, and I would watch the show, and and I, I and these things sort of touch me because I it's like I didn't create the show for that reason, I didn't write the show for that reason, but there are people who were reading into what we were doing on their own personal basis, so was, you know, it's kind of nice. Um, I I would say that uh, you know, considering the environment you guys were producing in, where Stuff like uh, the Ninja Turtles, He-Man, you know, there was a lot of, uh, I believe the word is toyetic programming happening. Yes, uh-huh. And yes. Uh, the Disney Afternoon definitely, like, was it in, were you guys intentionally breaking from that tradition that you weren't pushing a line of action figures specifically? <laughs> you weren't there to, like, sell a playset. These were uh, stories with heart. These were characters that were, like, made to tell a story. Even though I will say I definitely had a bunch of Darkwing Duck action figures. Just going to throw it out there. <laughs> Yeah. I, okay. What exactly. I'm trying to see, yeah, uh, how much pressure did you get from the marketing people to make something that could be turned into an action figure that could be turned you into? You know what? You know what? That's a that's a great question. I'm going to tell you an anecdote, and hopefully it will be of value to you. When when I was doing Gummy Bears, um, Hasbro was it Hasbro Fisher Price? I can't remember. Hasbro did Wuzzles. Oh, yeah. Hasbro was Wuzzles. Fisher Price came to us and they said. Um, look, we're going to be doing the toys for gummy bears, you know, and would you look at these designs we have for these new toys? Uh, Here's a baby gummy, and here's a, you know, and it was like, oh, crap. You know, I don't want to become the dog that gets wagged by the tail, you know, and so we told them we're not going to do those things, right? Uh, I think the only thing we gave on was they had this bubble dragon that when you squeezed its stomach, bubbles came out of its mouth. And we actually did an episode about a dragon that, that spit bubbles that had fire in them. <laughs> <laughs> but but we did not like being told what to do by by toy companies. And of course, as you said, a lot of a lot of TV shows were driven by uh, you know Transformers and, and Barbie and things like that. So when when we were doing um, when we were doing our, our new series, our syndicated shows, we never said. Oh, what toy can we latch on to? It was always, you know, what's going to make for enough 
material to do 65 episodes. Mm-hmm. That was revolutionary. Yeah. That was like honestly, we, that was you know, and we've done it was a lot a of revolutionary idea, and we were all famous. <laughs> uh, anyway, but it was. I mean, we've done a lot of research on different cartoons of the age and before. You know, we did a Transformers episode, and yeah, there's always this kind of growth, especially after um, Reagan. Uh, uh, made it possible to essentially just shill anything to uh, <laughs> children um, by deregulating the ad stuff on that. And things got a little gross. And I think it's really commendable that uh, you guys pushed back on that. That was Michael Eisner's vision. You could tell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, it wasn't our duty, but it was always our goal to try and be as, as fun and as entertaining as possible at, at uh, Disney I was going to ask one more quick question. You mentioned you're freelance now. Is there anything you have worked on in uh, the recent past or anything you're working on now you'd, you'd want to tell us about or tell our listeners about or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, the type of shows that I work on now are mostly overseas shows. So I'm, I'm story editing 104 episodes for a company in China. Hmm. It's called The Invention Story. And then I'm supposed to be starting on another show out of Korea called Debo the Gift Dragon. And I would be willing to bet nobody and none of your listeners will ever see these shows. <laughs> I mean, do you, you do see the irony that now you are the talent being outsourced for a Korean cartoon, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. At least we do have a lot of fans of anime and things like that who listen to the show. So it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, um, thank you so much again for joining us. And uh, I know I've said thank you to you like a million times now, but uh, we really do appreciate it. Yeah. You've been nothing. This is super nice. This is so cool. We're so we were like, I can't believe we got him. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we're, we're just, we're just a couple of nerds sweating in a studio who are so happy to get to sit down and talk to you. I just, I just want to say thank you so much. And here's the reason why, because you know, I, I run into people all the time at conventions and whatnot, and they're all kind of like, oh, golly, that's too mega. Wow. <laughs> you know, and I realize that in this business is that it's like you you may feel like, oh, people think I'm great. And you turn around and you become a fanboy for somebody else. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, that's Jennifer Lawrence over there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> totally. So so I, I, know, I know what you're feeling. Please don't feel that way. I, I love talking to you guys. And I, and I hope. I, I hope that you will, um, uh, you know, send me a copy of this or sure. send me a link for this. And I, I will promote it on my Facebook page, Great. which is Jim Magon Presents, if anyone wants to look for it. I and, um, checked it out uh, <laughs> the other day, actually. Yeah. Good. And um, so I'm, I'm just, no, seriously, I'm very tickled by this. So oh, thank yeah. you oh, so much. Oh, one last question. Oh, I just realized. One last question. Yeah. Uh, what is the meanest thing Jeffrey Katzenberg has ever said to your face? <laughs> You, you seriously want to know? <laughs> I mean, the legends, <laughs> the legends alone. No, actually, I, I was creating a show. Uh, I was developing a show called B Players, which had was which came out right on the heels of Roger Rabbit, meaning all the A players were always working, but the B players uh, kind of did one or two movies and they never heard of them again, right? So, one of the greatest B players was Baloo, right? <laughs> he did mm-hmm. he did one movie and then he. Then they sort of used the same character and voice to play Little John in Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. So we said, wouldn't it be funny if Baloo and this and a bunch of other characters are sitting around the back lot, hoping that they get called up to the, the A game again? And, <laughs> and so they decide what we're going to do is we're going to convince 
Eisner to let us do some shows. And that was the show. It was called The Bee Players. Well, I pitched this darn thing like three times in meetings over with Katz and Burke. And finally, he said to me, Jim, if you say bee players to me one more time, I'm going to throw you out that window. <laughs> did you did you clean that up for us? Was that the PG version? <laughs> no, no, no. No, that, that, was, that was the legit version. But here's the fun thing is that when that show died, we had nothing for, to pitch to the company as the next, uh, you know, syndicated uh, series. And Michael Webster came into my office and he said, I hope you realize that, you know, if you don't come up with an idea soon, it's going to be tumbleweed city around here, meaning we're going to have to fire everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I thought, well, isn't that nice that I'm responsible for everyone's job and yet you're not giving me all the money in the world. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so lo and behold, uh, I, I, I used, um, Baloo from B players and I used an idea for Launchpad McQuack from, from DuckTales, mm. uh, where he plays a, an air pilot. Mm-hmm. And I put those together, and we created Tailspin in three days. Wow. That's I mean, amazing. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, a, a show just th- with the core premise being, it's get it, they're very unpopular characters. <laughs> Probably was not. <laughs> Wait, that's the, yeah, that's the, that's the poll. Here's, the, you know, the characters people don't like. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, take care. We'll be in touch with uh, both uh, the interview release of this and also our episode about um, DuckTales and the whole Disney afternoon. Woo! (laughs) And uh, for the millionth time, thank you so much for sitting down with us and talking to us today. You're more than welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. Okay, bye, wizard. Bye, bruiser. (laughs) Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find?